Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Miles Morales from the film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And joining us for this discussion is returning guest Scott Corelli. Welcome back, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm really excited to get to talk about this movie some more. I haven't felt like I haven't talked about it in like, you know, almost, uh, well, go, uh, I guess a little over two years probably. So I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> It is a great film, and because it is a great film, it is also producer one of producer Andrew's favorite films. So, Andrew, you're going to be jumping in on this discussion too, right? Yes, and and also in part to represent my wife Kestra because she is miffed. She's understanding, but she's miffed because this is her favorite superhero movie of all time, <laughs> and so she's just so jealous that. And I'm like, it's fair, and just like she understands, like, well, Scott is going to talk about the Spider Man movie, like it, it's fair, but she's like, oh, I just. I just love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scott, you uh, you have a long history in podcasting of talking about Spider-Man films, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you did three Spider-Man movie, uh, minute seasons, correct? Yeah, yeah. All the three uh, uh, Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi films. So you've you've probably put in as much time as anyone I'm aware of talking about Spider-Man for public consumption. Yeah, I think I think I basically have a Ph.D. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> unofficial <laughs> unofficial phd well it makes sense to have uh <laughs> to have you on for this episode then to talk about miles morales and spider-verse uh this film is a 2018 animated film that was written by phil lord and rodney rothman and directed by bob persichetti uh peter ramsey and rodney rothman and it tells the story of a young man named miles morales taking on the mantle of spider-man after his dimensions peter parker dies and in his adventure spider people from other dimensions cross over into his universe um scott we we kind of covered some bases there that you have some expertise talking about Spider-Man with your Spider-Man podcast. And that's all part of the dueling genre family of podcasts. And mm-hmm. this is going to be our first episode of the protagonist podcast is we're kind of uh, part of a first wave of, of a soft relaunch for dueling genre. So do you want to share with our listeners a little bit of what's going on with dueling genre? Uh, yeah. So we're basically doing a, uh, like you said, a, a sort of soft relaunch of the brand. We're trying to um, step away from our previous focus, which were the uh, numerous movies by minute podcasts that we did. Um, now, uh, uh, a large majority of those have uh, wrapped up and uh, we, we still have some uh, going on like uh, your, your producer, a- Andrews. Um, but uh, you know, in general, it's going to be sort of, uh, we're, we're aiming our focus away from those and focusing more on, um, weekly style podcasts, uh, with, a with a sort of, um, I guess a new brand mantra in mind. Um, don't ask me what the mantra is. I don't know what it is yet. We're still trying to figure <laughs> that out. Um, but, but, uh, I, I, uh, you know, we're just, we, we're trying to, um, build a network that is uh, built on, on uh, inclusivity and uh, positivity. Uh, and we're trying to be the opposite of all of that uh, cynical um, pop culture stuff like, uh, you know, like your cinema sins, et cetera. 
Um, That's the one that popped into my head immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're just basically trying to be the antidote to all of that um, is, is sort of where my headspace is at right now. We want it to be um, a collection of podcasts about things that we enjoy and not things that, and things that we're allowed to be critical of, but not ever in a way that feels like we're bullying it um, or like we're punching down in any way. And uh, so that's that's sort of the focus of the the new brand, and we've got lots of podcasts uh, coming, um, and uh, that have, are going to be announced at the uh, keynote showcase on the twenty fourth, Sunday the twenty fourth, on our YouTube channel. Well, we're very glad to be able to be a part of the Dueling Genre Network. And uh, for our listeners, um, fortunately, we get to largely stay the same on the Protagonist Podcast because it's all about great characters and great stories. So we fit, hopefully, that positive oh, yeah. uh, mindset that you're trying to embrace there. Absolutely. You're, you guys were one of the first ones that I was like, oh, yeah, and then definitely them. We definitely <laughs> want to keep them around for sure. Well, we're very glad to hear that. Uh, some trivia about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. First, I want to say the voice cast in this film is amazing. I hope you guys agree with that, right? I mean, <laughs> it's it's solid. It's a, just across the board. So we have Shmeek Moore as Miles Morales, Jake Johnson as a, as a Peter Parker, Chris Pine as a different Peter Parker, Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, uh, Mahershala Ali as the Prowler, Lily Tomlin as Mae Parker, Zoe Kravitz as, as Mary Jane, John Mulaney as Spider-Ham, Nicolas Cage as a different Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir, Noir. And I always panic when I have to say this name. Uh, uh, leave Schreiber is that where we're, we've landed I've heard it pronounced so many different ways on different podcasts that I always think whatever I'm about to say is the wrong one yeah I think it's leave I'm pretty sure okay yeah leave Schreiber as as Kingpin um, and that, yeah I mean that's just so many great voice actors and some of them aren't in there for terribly much like Nicholas like was in for an afternoon to record all his lines but the way he yeah. delivers them is so perfect for that character um so uh, that's one thing that definitely pops about this film. Uh, some more trivia. It has a 97% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I knew this had been well-reviewed, but I didn't remember just how well-reviewed until I was poking around again, gathering some trivia oh, for yeah. this. And it made $190 million in the United States, and its global box office was $375 million, And it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Film uh, in, <laughs> let's see, what year was this out again? Uh, 2018. Yeah, so it would have won in uh, 2019. Right, yeah, the, the yeah. that one, uh, and then the uh, it was it was very successful, and that always means okay. Well, what are they doing with it next? Well, officially, there is a sequel in production, and that has an announced release date of October seventh, twenty twenty two. But who knows? Um, <laughs> it's still holding that date at the moment. Uh, and then also, they have officially acknowledged a spinoff, but from what I saw, it wasn't yet in production, and it was unofficially being called Spider Women. Then it was going to focus on Spider Gwen. Jessica Drew slash Spider-Woman and Cindy Moon slash Silk. Uh, and that's been announced. But again, I couldn't find that that one was actually in production, whereas the official sequel to Spider-Verse is in production. And then there's like a half dozen projects that have been hinted at or referenced in interviews, but not officially announced and speculate. You know, they've just been speculated about. My, my, um, my theory on all the spinoffs and the reason why they've been sort of quiet, despite like, I don't know, like six months after this movie, it was just like spinoff, spinoff, sequel, spinoff, spinoff. Every like there were all of the announcements came within like six months of this movie hitting theaters. Um, I think that the reason why they've quieted down is because Lego movie two kind of bombed. And I think mm. they realized that um, there you can have too much of a good thing. 
and they're so i think they're like trying to like cool their jets a little bit and make sure that the sequel gets the attention that it should before they start doing any spin-offs because i think they they realize that they may have um uh done a you know maybe one or two too many lego movies because they rushed out the lego batman and i think they even did the lego ninjago which wasn't part of that universe but i think it just kind of felt like another lego movie was mm-hmm. was out there yeah yeah I, 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 that, that makes a lot of sense and also i mean the whole entertainment industry right now is kind of on pause trying to you know, as far as for us as outsiders looking in like not exactly knowing what's going on in the black box of the entertainment industry um because of the way 20 2020 went sure uh, everything except the animation animation is because everybody can work from home so that's been the only thing that basically hasn't been uh stuck like a lot of other productions right yeah Yeah, it is uh, a very different beast but it'll be interesting to see what exact you know how they're able to guide this it seems like um you know sony's relationship with spider-man is is so interesting and like a whole book probably could be and probably is being written (laughs) about the rights issues uh, around Spider-Man in this explosion of all the popular superhero films and how it's uh, separate from, but also not the, the whole MCU. And uh, with this animated film version of, of Spider-Man, I think, I think they found something that they kind of hoped would be, you know, a golden goose, but like I said, maybe they're, they're worried about uh, oversaturation Mm -hmm. uh, too fast. Right. Uh, well, before we move on to the full summary of this film, we want to thank our listeners for downloading this episode, and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes, and we should, we talk about the media we've been consuming in the last month that we aren't covering for full episodes of the podcast yet. And all patrons support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Um, I guess before I do the full summary, I kind of forgot to ask, do you guys remember when you first heard about Spider-Verse and this animated film? Like, do you remember your first interaction with this film? I think for me, I, I, I feel like my memory, and maybe this is false, but my memory is that there were vague rumblings of an animated Spider-Man movie happening. But like people didn't understand if it was going to be a theatrical release or if Sony was making like animated Spider-Man direct to video movies the way the DC does at, over at Warner Brothers. Oh. Um, and and no one knew what it was exactly. And then that first teaser trailer hit of he, of of the the leap of faith scene. And my memory is that that was the trailer that everyone was like holy moly what is this hold on what (laughs) um like i i remember that being the thing that every everyone was like wait so this is this is coming out in theaters and it's being treated like earnestly it's not what what yeah uh that that's my memory is that it was that first trailer that everybody lost their minds over um but I, i can't remember i just remember a lot of confusion before that trailer Andrew, do you have I, any memories about it? Yeah, like I'm trying to think through, um, you know, all the stuff that you were talking about with the with the lead up, Scott. And yeah, I don't remember like a lot until the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like like you said, you know, rumors and some discussion, but it wasn't very clear. And then the trailer came out, and I remember like seeing the trailer and being like, "Oh, this is different." The, like, there's a texture to this animation. There's a texture to the backgrounds. They've got like the comic book. Um, you know, pop art dots kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The the animation was a little bit Lego e, where there was right. like the the skipped frames and everything. 
and 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 that put it into the context. It's like, okay, this is like the follow up from from the Lego movies. Um, it's it, not that it's Lego Spider Man. It's just you know the same um, production teams working on it. And so, and I remember feeling really nervous and skeptical because of that like different texture to the animation. I was like, I don't know how I feel about it. It's it, like, it was feeling a little bit uncanny Valley for me on the initial hmm. trailer. Yeah. And so I remember that. And I like, I, I, there was a lot of energy coming from other people like the theater. I remember, I'm pretty sure the first time I saw the trailer was in the theater for something. And there was like an energy in the theater of people seeing like, Oh, what is this? What is this? What is this? And I had like a lot of like hesitation. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, this might not work guys. Like I'm not sure. I was really, really hesitant. And then seeing the movie just absolutely blown away. Yeah. 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 The, the animation was definitely one um, that, you know, I worked in a movie theater when this came out and a lot of people asking for refunds because they thought that they were watching a 3d movie without the glasses. Um, Oh, there's wow. definitely moments of that. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a ton of people who would come out and be like, Hey, you've got the 3d version on. And it's like, no, we don't. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. That's unwatchable. Give me my money back. It's like a lot of that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of people that like, wouldn't even give it the time to like, you know, adjust to it, I guess. Um, Cause mm-hmm. I feel like once the movie, like, once the movie like gets its sort of pacing down and the, the editing down so that you, you it's not just um, sort of long shots. Cause that's what I remember about that first trailer. It was like, it wasn't a lot of like quick cuts. It was like long shots of stuff. And so you could really notice that it was animated on twos. Um, and it, it definitely had a little bit of that uncanny thing because with the Lego, you had the fact that they were Legos taking away from the fact that it was animated on twos. Um, but when you have it, when it's like, you know, people and it's animated and it's on twos, it feels weird. Um, and I feel like once you got to the parts where the editing started ramping up and the pacing got, got a little faster. Um, I think that that's, I think that's where it starts to like, kind of just, I don't know, you just sort of like, gel with it i think Mm -hmm. um and you just get used to it get used to the the animation style um but yeah for some people they wouldn't they wouldn't even give it that give it a chance um it was just just real quick you dropped a little bit of jargon where you said it was animated on twos could you explain what that means oh yeah so so when it's when when something's animated on twos so like it's i if i'm if i'm remembering correctly um the idea is that it's um you know it's the frame rate thing so Mm -hmm. so you know you have like a lot of um anime like studio ghibli stuff i think is animated at 24 frames per second um and then there's a lot of other animation will be animated at like i don't know like 18 frames per second or something like that disney animated movies are done usually around 24 frames per second and then they animated this so that it was i think the backgrounds are animated at 24 frames per second but then all of the people all of the moving objects are animated at 12 frames per second. Um, and that's animated on twos. Cause it's like, um, you're, you're, you're animating it two frames per movement. So like every time you move 
the character, you take two frames instead of one frame. Um, and that's why it's called animated on twos. If I'm, if I'm, I, I probably explained that in the most complex convoluted <laughs> way possible because I'm not an animator, but I think that's, I think that's what, that's what it is. Well, and, and I, I think they play with it some throughout this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Well, like, the different because I think the different characters from the different universes are animated slightly differently. Yeah, or they'll um, they're like they'll be animated on the twos, but they're on the opposite frame, and so yeah. they're not in sync. Right, um, and so there's like some really interesting things that is like it, it's not even like meta commentary about what's going on in the movie, but like people align and get in sync with their movement in a certain way, and so right. it's like meta animation. <laughs> storytelling to to show like the the development of their relationship and stuff like that and so they're doing really interesting things um but yeah essentially you know they're just animating um like every other frame instead of every frame that we see which ultimately you you adapt to really easily and you don't notice very much um except that if you're willing to take the time and not go demand a refund in the first few minutes (laughs) i will say the like it's the opening logos and the, and some of the opening sequence is some of the, like it's almost trippy looking the way yeah. everything is. So I understand why, if you, if you don't push through that to where the narrative starts to pull you along into this universe, uh, you might think something's wrong with the projection for a little bit mm-hmm. just because it is so different than what came before. I, I'm glad you guys had a similar experience. Cause I remember that exact feeling of confusion about what is this project that I keep like hearing reference to this animated Spider-Man. And I remember also hearing that it was going to be the Miles Morales version of Spider-Man, who's a comic book character that has been around since 2011, but does not, you know, have the wider cultural familiarity of a Peter Parker, uh, Spider-Man at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was more curiosity uh, than anything else, rather than like the full fledged excitement uh, that I'm sure I'll be feeling for the sequel when that one is coming out. <laughs> Where It's like, okay, I know exactly what this is and I'm excited for more of it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, here is the full summary of the film now. So in New York City, Miles Morales feels pressured by his parents, who are a cop and a nurse, to be very good. He sometimes vents by visiting his uncle Aaron, who takes him to spray paint graffiti in old subway tunnels. While he's there, Miles is bitten by a strange spider. He starts to develop strange powers, including a very sticky spider grip that he can't control. He goes back to the tunnel where the spider bit him to try and find it and figure out what is happening to him. While he's there, Spider-Man and Green Goblin crash through a wall. Meanwhile, Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, is firing up a super collider in a science experiment and the battle kind of takes everyone towards that super collider. An explosion occurs. Spider-Man is injured. He gives Miles Morales a flash drive that will shut the collider down, and Miles hides away before the villains see him. Kingpin, Green Goblin, and a villain called the Prowler surround Spider-Man, and Kingpin kills him. News breaks that Spider-Man died uh, and that he was really Peter Parker. The city mourns the loss of this hero. Miles buys a memorial spider-man costume inspired by peter parker's sacrifice he puts on the mask and tries out his new powers it's intimidating doesn't go well the first time i love heroes getting their powers montages i have a weakness when it comes to those being done well sometimes they're not done well but this is one example of a good good one of those montages uh he miles morales goes visits peter parker's graves where he meets Peter B. Parker, a middle-aged, emotionally vulnerable Spider-Man from another dimension who was pulled into this world. Miles shows Peter B. Parker the flash drive that his world Spider-Man gave him. And he calls it, uh, Peter B. Parker calls it a goober, right? Is that what his... Goober, yeah. 
it's kind of like a version of the MacGuffin, just the thing that's going to, you know, be important is what it is. <laughs> and he like does the hand waving. It could be anything. I just know I need to get this thing fixed. Uh, so Miles shows him that it's broken and he guilts Peter B. Parker into helping him to repair it so they can stop the super collider from being used again. Uh, they go to Alchemex lab to get more information about this collider and uh, some more stuff for their flash drive for their goober. There they try to steal that information from Olivia Octavius, but she is this world's Dr. Octopus and a fight breaks out. They manage to get away with the help of Spider-Woman. This is Gwen Stacy, a superhero who was pulled from her dimension into this one and is now looking for a way to get back home. They all go to Aunt May's house and she quickly assesses the situation. She's um, surprisingly unfazed. This is an awesome Aunt May. (laughs) (laughs) She takes the three of them down to Peter's secret base where there are three more spider superheroes from other dimensions. There is Spider-Man Noir who... (laughs) Okay, how are we going to describe each one of these? Spider-Man Noir is, like, he is in black and white. He's from a world that's all black and white, like film noir, and just dark and gritty, and he he speaks like a hard-boiled detective, and he's voiced by Nicolas Cage, and it's amazing whenever he's on screen. Then we also have Penny Parker, who is, like, a ja- uh, an anime character who has a spider robot that also has a spider living inside of the robot and helping to power it. Uh, and then there's Peter Porker, Spider-Ham, who is, like, a Looney Tunes character, but dressed like Spider-Man. Uh... <laughs> I've got to say, it was at this point, I was like, in the theater, I was looking around like, everyone's on board with this? <laughs> like, yeah, they're, 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 like, somewhere in this movie, you get that sense of like, this is incredible. I'm on board. <laughs> is everyone else on board? Because like, I could totally see people not being on board. <laughs> There's a lot of spaghetti on the wall once you get these three different versions of, of uh, spider heroes in there. Um, but this group of heroes hatch a plan to try and go into the collider, activate it long enough for the heroes to all return to their dimensions and then have have it um, be destroyed. But they're concerned that Miles is too new at superheroing to be able to help. He goes to his Uncle Aaron's apartment to go vent. Uh, but the Prowler is there. But it turns out his Uncle Aaron is the Prowler. Miles freaks out. He runs back to Aunt May's house to tell everyone that his uncle's the Prowler and a bunch of supervillains attack. Prowler in this fight is about to kill Miles Morales. He his mask so he doesn't know who it is. Miles pulls off the mask. Prowler realizes who this is and he hesitates. Frustrated with Prowler's weakness, Kingpin shoots him and kills the Prowler. Uh, Miles prepares a black Spider-Man costume with red highlights and truly tests his powers. This scene is awesome. I can't do it justice in a, in a verbal description, but go watch Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse just to get to this scene. It's the music, the animation, the 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 camera angles, everything is, is amazing in this sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, the other Spider-People are still carrying out their plan without Miles and they sneak into get to the collider miles joins them though and now we get the collider activated kingpin's whole reason for doing this we find out is that he's been trying to claim alternate dimension versions of his wife and child who had died previously that almost works out but then it doesn't lots of villains and battling happens in the end all the spider people return home to their proper dimensions the collider is destroyed miles returns to his regular life but we see interdimensional bubbles start to appear above his bed and we hear gwen's voice the end except for the post credit scene in which we see Spider-Man 2099 interact with the Spider-Man 68 cartoon. And it's just so strange and glorious. And I don't know how we got this film. Like how, how is this where we're at <laughs> in our uh, pop cultural awareness of superheroes that we're having like all these different versions of Spider-Man. And now it seems like the live action, both Marvel and DC want to embrace this same thing of, Hey, let's go into the multiverse and, and pull everything in. And I'm just amazed that we're at this point in our pop culture uh, that that what used to be so niche and geeky and very insular is now massive multi-million dollar film productions. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's great. 
It's the, it's the only benefit of uh, rebooting Spider-Man every five years. <laughs> is that we're gonna get <laughs> this uh you know this new version uh or the, the live action version with a whole bunch of past versions of spider-man and it seems like dc's trying to do a similar thing with batman uh batman's maybe, uh, maybe. well I, maybe. I was more ref- referring to the fact that like people got used to have to keep getting used to new spider-man and so now when they make a movie like this with a bunch of spider-mans everyone's like yeah okay so they rebooted it like four times all right i get it <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, and, well, and I was thinking about like just in terms of like there are hurdles for like audience uh, like embracing of the weird. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this film has a lot of that weirdness in terms of the animation style that we've already talked about that, Scott, you said you saw firsthand. Some people couldn't handle the weirdness of the animation style. Right. There's a different Spider-Man in Miles Morales instead of Peter Parker. We've gotten everyone used to Peter Parker, Spider-Man, and now it's going to be Miles Morales, Spider-Man and a whole bunch of other uh, Spider-Man. There's the whole um multiverse and different versions of characters, which is kind of a trippy concept to plug into a big, you know, uh, a movie that's, yes, it's a genre film, but you're hoping to reach as wide an audience as possible. And I think this film does an amazing job of, of clearing so many of those hurdles, which you see from, you know, how successful it was, the sequels that have been announced, the excitement and buzz that exists around it. Um, but that's a lot of, uh, you know, difficulty that they, they had to kind of, find the right tone to manage to get such wide audience embracing of these concepts. It's, it's honestly mind boggling that there's a movie featuring Peter Porker, the spectacular spider ham that won an Oscar for best animated picture. <laughs> That's honestly incredible. <laughs> that, that may be my favorite trivia. Uh, yeah. You know, Peter Porker spider ham is in an Oscar winning film. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and and when you're talking about like the hurdles for people to embrace what's going on in this, like I'm intrigued by the idea that like like my wife, this is her favorite superhero movie and and she has not read a lot of comic books. So mm-hmm. they did enough work in the movie to take outsiders and say, yeah, you love this, mm-hmm. which which is impressive because like there's things that I love because. I know elements of, of the comic books or like, I don't think Kestra's watched all the Spider-Man movies. You know, I don't think she watched the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. And she comes into this and she said, this is, this is the thing. This is the the one for me. And like, she doesn't have any context for, for Peter Porker. She doesn't know anything about Spider-Man <laughs> noir, you know, all these weird things, but she's just all in. And they managed to bring people all in just kind of with them accepting and being really, really cool with the idea. Yeah, I know there's a lot of Spider-Man stuff. I don't know any of it. So you tell me what I need to know. Yeah. Well, I think they did something really clever and, and you know, something that is looks effortless, but, you know, I'm sure was not. And that is they they do have all of these alternate Spider-Mans, but they present them in such a way that they boil them down to archetypes. And so you have you know, noir, like, you know, kind of Sin City-ish character. You have an anime character and you have a cartoon. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know what all of those things are, even if I don't know what the Spider-Man's attached to those things are. Um, and so, you know, you can you can watch this movie um, being able to understand it regardless of, like, having any kind of, like, 
connection to continuity of Spider-Man or anything like that. I mean, I could tell you that all of those characters come from comics first and that, you know, and who their creators are and where their first appearance was. But like that doesn't matter to anybody but us nerds. So like the 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 thing about it is like, you know, they and, and they're not perfect. They're not perfect adaptations of like what they were in the comics. They've they've changed them in certain ways. And but I think they've done them and they, they've updated them in such a smart way that um, they've turned them into archetypes that are like extremely easy to digest as a result. One other thing that I think ties in with this that I, I was thinking about um, in, in comic books, Peter Parker, for most of the character's history, is famously a loner. Like he doesn't join the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, he he's never on the teams in the last 20 years. That's changed quite a bit. But for for a good 40 years of the character's run, he was like the isolated figure. And yes, he would have team ups with these other characters, but he was never part of them. And he never had like the Spider-Man family the way like Batman in DC. Yeah, he's like iconically we think of him as a loner, but he also has a very well-known Bat family yeah. that's around him of Alfred and Robin and Batgirl and uh, you know on and on and on uh that you knew that that uh even has reached like the general public like everyone knows batman and robin right uh but for spider-man it really was just spider-man and i was in in thinking about this film i was surprised how well the iconography of spider-man's costume like the classic red and blue costume is there but it can be transformed into things that are instantly recognizable as part of the spider family but also so distinctive so miles morales costume with the black background and the red striping mm-hmm. and spider gwen or or is, is the character's name ghost spider in the comics now no um, spider woman spider woman yeah okay was she Ghost Spider for a little bit? I swear I, I heard. He was Ghost Spider in the in a cartoon series, but I, think I don't they, think they no, were in the comics. I think they've been trying to use some Ghost Spider like occasionally in the comics, but it's so weird because like, like as a reader, it's like okay, this is Spider Gwen, mm-hmm. and then as a character, but like, that doesn't in the work comic out, like, book, they can't name. say Spider no, Gwen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I know there was a comic book called Spider Gwen, but there's like, yeah, like other characters can't call her that. Um, but but the, those versions of like the spider costume are so fantastic. And, and like Spider Gwen's costume is like instantly, oh, that's part of the Spider-Man family. But there never had been a Spider-Man family, but now there is. And mm-hmm. um, it's, there's something that's just so genius in how they were able to like stamp each one of these characters as, as clearly belonging, but also distinctive. I, I, I think, think it's. I think it's the I think it's the mask, the mask, the fact that the mask is the most iconic part of Spider-Man, the 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 mask and the eyes. I think it's very malleable um, because you could put it on any costume. And as long as you have the webs and the eyes, then you have Spider-Man and like nothing else matters. Whereas like something like Superman is harder because then it's just like, I mean, I guess you could put it on, you just put the Superman symbol on anything and it's Superman, (laughs) but like, it's not the same as this. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say like it, and they kind of take something different um, for a lot of these characters from Spider-Man iconography and and it's still like, OK, this feels like Spider-Man. And you said the mask and that's like the main one, it's especially for like Spider-Gwen and Spider-Man noir. Like you've got to mm-hmm. have those eyes on the blank, the blank face, right? The mm-hmm. smooth mask face. But then when you've got like the the robot and Penny, it's the color scheme. Mm-hmm. And so for some of them, it's like, OK, well, you've got like that color scheme in the right areas and you feel Spider-Man. And for some of them. Mm-hmm. You've got the mask and the eyes and it feels Spider-Man. And for some of them, it's like, well, the the webbing is the thing. And so you've got enough like elements that are really flexible. Whereas like you said, with with Superman, it's like, yeah, you can put the logo on. But <laughs> but with Spider-Man, like the logo is much less significant. Yeah. But even with the robot, the robot still has the eyes. 
Yeah, it, it does still get like that expressive Spider-Man face. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, he does like other expressions because he's like a it's like a robot screen. But um, when he's like when he's just kind of like chill, he has like Spider-Man eyes. Um, but yeah, it's but yeah, the color scheme definitely helps. And um, it's 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 really like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I don't know how Steve Ditko designed something so perfectly that like it's so malleable. But man uh he's a he's a genius of an artist that's for sure that that original core spider-man costume is one of the greatest superhero costumes ever designed yes it definitely uh, is and it's, it's like that the real classic flash where yep. it's just red with one bolt of lightning yep. i'm like that's perfect for that character. those are those are for my money yeah. those are the two perfect costumes um every mm-hmm. other costume you like kind of want to tweak one or two things about one or two things but but those two costumes the first spider-man costume and that that uh you know, Silver Age Flash costume. Those are like the two best costumes in comics. And I agree. And I wonder and the companies keep messing with them. I wonder if there's something with with Spider-Man, like a benefit from just like the comic book iconography where they had like the faces of characters in the corner of the comic books for so long that the face became the the symbol for Spider-Man and not like mm. a black on red spider symbol. Because when you think Spider-Man, like it's not a logo. You think of the Spider-Man face. Like it's an oval with red and webbing and the big eyes, mm-hmm. you know, well, and they that's, even did that. that's what it is. With the eyes for a Marvel stamp for a long time. Like if you were buying direct market instead of uh, it, where, where barcode was, or no, if you were getting the, the uh, mail copy instead of uh, where barcode was in the store, they'd have a, a Marvel logo with Spider-Man's eyes um, in some of them. And so having yeah, that it, makes the costume more flexible because it's like, well, the icon is not a logo. Right. Right. But then, but then, but then you have a character like Venom where the icon is the logo, I would say. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and unfortunately they can't even use the logo in the movie. <laughs> uh, so then they're like, no, the icon's the face, right? Like Spider-Man. And it's like, no, no, it actually, it actually <laughs> it is. Ironically, it is the spider with Venom. Uh, <laughs> despite the fact he has nothing to do with the spider technically. <laughs> Isn't that weird how that works out? I don't know. Uh, one of those mysteries of adaptation, how, how it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a corporate rights, you know, what can be adapted from, from what storyline. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a big mess. Um, should we talk a little bit about the, the great character work that we get both on Miles Morales as like the protagonist of the story, but also like the little snippets we get from the side characters. I'm impressed with the amount of work that's done to it's make so, us. It's so good. Know yeah. these characters. Um, so for Miles Morales, is there something for you that like, stands out and makes this character uh distinct as a version of spider-man that again was seems to have been fully embraced uh based on box office and reviews and everything um but also separate from our classic peter parker spider-man what what is it for you that that you think works so well about miles so i i so the thing about miles is that when um when bendis created miles um and and you know forgive me i forget who the artist was that was working on the book at the time was it sarah pacelli okay so so when when pacelli and and bendis created miles um you know i i feel like that there was a sense from bendis of like okay i have the opportunity to do something really important i'm gonna make a spider-man who isn't white i'm gonna make a brand new character but i'm gonna make him spider-man and it's not gonna be like oh I'm going to be Spider-Man for a while and eventually it's going to go back to Peter Parker. He's going to be Spider-Man because the other Spider-Man is going to be dead. And, and just for our listeners who don't know, this was in 
an ultimate line of comics, which was a side universe of Marvel comics that were meant to be inviting for new readers and didn't have the 50 years of, of history of the main Marvel universe line. Right. So ultimate all started around 2000 mm-hmm. and Bendis wrote, Peter Parker's adventures in Spider-Man, but eventually killed that character off and Miles Morales stepped into the mantle of Spider-Man. Right. Um, in, in much the same fashion of like, he got his powers and he, um, instead of helping Peter, he watched him die. Um, and, uh, and then like felt bad. And that was kind of his like version of an uncle Ben moment. Um, although this movie gives him two uncle Ben moments. Um, I, 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 you know, I think that, as well-meaning as they were at the time, and I think that Sarah Pacelli designed an amazing costume for Miles, I find that Miles Morales in that comic, outside of just the concept of like, uh, like a a a a, a, a black kid getting spider powers and becoming Spider Man. Miles didn't have like a distinct personality really in any way. And it almost felt like Bendis was like afraid to do anything too definitive with him. Um, You know, and maybe that's because he was a white writer himself and felt a little uncomfortable, but knew that he could use his power for good by creating this character. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But, but like, you know, Miles in the comics never had a distinct personality. uh, In my opinion, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to describe him as a character, whereas I could describe Peter Parker all day long. Um, I don't think it was until this movie that Miles Morales had a distinctive personality, had something that made him stand out um, against Peter Parker. You know, Peter Parker was always a scientist and in a lot of adaptations of Miles, like the animated stuff, Miles is just another scientist. He's like basically like Peter Parker 2.0. Um, and that is not super interesting. And so what I like that they did here with miles is they made him an artist, which is completely different from Peter Parker, who, you know, Peter's a scientist. That's his whole focus. There's a, there's a really great joke at the very end of the credits of this movie, uh, during spider bells, when Chris Pine, (laughs) Spider-Man sings that, why is he singing this stupid song? He has a degree in chemical engineering. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And yeah, that's who Peter Parker is. He's extremely intelligent and, you know, has multiple PhDs depending on, you know, who's writing it at the time. Uh, but he's kind of like, uh, you know, he screws up a lot and 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 he tries his best and he's trying to make everybody happy. And in doing so, he never makes anybody happy, including himself. Um, but he is really, really smart. And that's his thing. But Miles, making Miles just do that again, the same thing that Peter Parker has isn't as interesting as giving him his own thing. And that this is the first time that they've ever done that with miles, which was them saying like, Oh, what if he's an artist? What if he's interested in street art and, and things like that, that gives him something else to focus on. And they, they did it again too, in the, um, the new miles Morales video game, his thing is music in that version. It's like he's really into to like making music and making like mixtapes and stuff like that, which, again, still makes him stand out um, opposite Peter. It, it makes him a different character. And I think that's what he's always needed. He's always needed a distinct thing. And I, I remember watching this and just, you know, I remember first seeing his costume in this movie and being like, why does it look like that? Like, I don't understand. Why didn't they just make it look like Peter's costume? But like you know, the, the, the correct, the miles color scheme. I don't understand why it looks so like 
I don't know, cheap or something. I was, I was very confused. And then when you watch the movie and he does it and he, he spray paints it because he's a street artist. And so he's putting his own personality over Peter's personality uh, to create his costume. It was like, uh, like a eureka moment of like, oh, this is what Miles has always been missing as a character. And this movie finally filled in the gap. And I think um, this, the story, you know, I think you did a great job identifying a lot of his personality and, and like the art uh, that resonates and also like the music, like in the opening scene, he's, he's listening to music so loud that he can't hear his dad talking. So we, we definitely have some of that that gets carried over, like you said, into the video game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also, I think they do a good job of giving a family dynamic that is tense and gives him motivations, but is different than the Peter Parker guilt trip. Right. <laughs> that, uh, you know, that is so famous that they've stopped even adapting it. Yeah. <laughs> they just say, you all know Peter Parker's story with uncle Ben, uh, <laughs> or we're not going to go down that path again. Uh, and, and you've got complexity of, uh, you know, parents who want the best for him, but are maybe pressuring a bit too much. You've got the uncle who's, who's a criminal that he kind of, is gravitating towards and then his his like revulsion when he realizes just how bad his uncle is as a criminal uh that's gonna provide you know but then his uncle dying saving him so that's gonna add like weird layers of guilt and and anger Mm -hmm. you know simultaneously i think there's a lot of fruitful emotional work that we get in this film uh that can help to uh establish for an audience like like different hooks for what is going to motivate uh miles morales's decisions in or his reactions to different situations that he sees yeah I think the biggest thing, too, that just differentiates him outside of like, you know, just interests. Um, I think the thing that that also separates him is he has an innate sense of wanting to do the right thing. And that's something that Peter didn't have. You know, like that's his whole origin is that he didn't have that sense until his Uncle Ben died. And then he learns with great power comes great responsibility. But, you know, here spider-man is like hey you need to take this thing and you need to shut this down um you're the only one who can i'm probably gonna get iced soon (laughs) you you're (laughs) the only one who can do this and if you don't do this no one can and everyone's gonna die the whole city's gonna die maybe the whole planet all of this is on your shoulders and you have to do it and the whole movie is just miles being like okay I have to do this. And everyone being like, no, you don't have to do it. I, somebody else can do it. I'll, I'll do it. It's not a big deal. And he's like, no, 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 I have to do it. I have to do it. This is mine. I have to do it. And like having that, that's so different from Peter's arc, you know, cause Peter's arc was like, oh, cool. I've got powers. I can get rich or, you know, I can get the girl or whatever. I'm going to use these powers irresponsibly. But miles never had that miles immediately was like, oh, I have these powers. I'm kind of freaked out by them. But Spider-Man says that I need to do this for him, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, um, and like, that, that that immediately separates him from Peter. Yeah, you have this, um, like, this this really intense, like, okay, Miles is a good kid kind mm-hmm. of thing. And original Peter Parker is like, I don't know if this is a good kid. Right. <laughs> you know, totally. like, this, this kid it has been bullied, and he's got, like, some anger and some resentment and some issues. And it's like, Miles, Miles doesn't have issues. Like, yeah, he's like throwing up his, his stickers and his dad wants him to take him down. It's like, but that's not like, Miles is not a, not a criminal. He's, he's not like, got it. He doesn't have those issues. Yeah. Um, where, like, like his act of rebellion is wanting to go back to his old school yeah. <laughs> instead of the nice new school that he tested into. Right. <laughs> 
um, which is a different kind of rebellion than like Peter Parker's like thought balloon of I'll, I'll show them <laughs> yeah. something like yeah. that. Like, got a little menace to it, and when I can't remember the exact wording, but in his premiere issue when we're first meeting Peter Parker, there is an undercurrent of anger that's very present yeah. uh, in, in in the portrayal. And, and Miles, it's really Miles how doesn't long? Have an, I'll show them. How long is it in in Spider Man's run in comics before before they start writing Peter in a way where he doesn't think that he's better than everybody else? Like it takes a really long time. Like for a long time, he's just like, ah, what does he know? I'm better than him. Like it's a lot of that attitude. Whereas that was never Miles's thing. Um, and and it really it's like he he came into being Spider Man in a better place than Peter ever was, and so. Mm-hmm. When you hear things like, you know, Peter telling Miles that he could be a better Spider-Man than him, than, than Peter, than the original Spider-Man, you kind of buy it because, yeah, he's probably right. He didn't have as much growing up to do as, as Peter did. I think this is a great segue to talk about one of my favorite versions of Spider-Man that I did not know that I wanted, and that is middle-aged. <laughs> uh, 40-year-old Spider-Man. <laughs> Peter B. Parker. Yeah. The, and the Spider-Man love- who has is compared not once but twice to uh, a dead hobo. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing that I love that the film does is leaning into the visual storytelling strengths of something like film or the comic books that you can do where you can do the simultaneous joke of what is being said or written with the visual that is contrasting it that you can't do in like text storytelling. Like you could set up a similar joke to what we get in text by saying, uh, you know, Peter Parker thought about, uh, you know, how strong his superpowers had made his muscles as he lay on his bed eating pizza. But to see him, <laughs> I'm talking I, about, I was doing I was back in my apartment, strong. you know, getting ripped, <laughs> feeling strong as his gut is hanging out of his spider's <laughs> suit and he's crying in the bathtub. Uh, <laughs> handling like it like a champ. <laughs> yes, handling it like a champ as he cries in the bathtub. Like, that's a strength of visual storytelling that, uh, you know, textual storytelling just doesn't have. And they really highlighted that in his little origin story that immediately tells you so much about who Peter B. Parker is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter B. Parker is interesting because he is the Spider-Man that a lot of a, a very strong contingent of Spider-Man fans has always have always wanted to see, which is the older Spider-Man. Everybody like there's there's a lot of Spider-Man fans who are just really tired of seeing the the teenage Spider-Man over and over and over again. Each time it reboots, it's like he reboots a little younger than the previous time. <laughs> um, and it's like, man, I just can't. I can't he he just can't get to like mid you know middle age or the way that he is now where he's like you know early 30s or something like that yeah, I mean in the comics he's kind of been frozen late 20s early 30s for a good 30 years yeah. at this point it, and it's really yeah, just like, like depending college on, and, yeah and it's like it's like whoever's right, depending on who's writing him, you get a vibe that he's like either in his mid 20s or he's in his early 30s. Like it, it varies. But yeah, but, but never really past that ever that I can think of. No, no. But we've never even really had that age range because, you know, Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I know he was like 35, but but, <laughs> you know, in the context of the movies, his Peter Parker, I think, caps out at like 21, 2021. 20, um, in Spider-Man three, because he's still in college. So, right. you know, it's, it's like, we've never gotten a, an even mid twenties Spider-Man, um, and the character. I think, and I think that's a weird thing because like, I kind of want Spider-Man to be like five to seven years older than me. Sure. Like, like when I think of Spider-Man, it's like, well, I started reading Spider-Man when I was like a kid and he was a teenager. Awesome. And then I want to be a teenager and he's like in college. Great. 
I'm like, I turned 30 last year. I yeah. don't want Spider-Man to be 26 anymore. Well, you've got Peter B. Parker, at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and this is a version of Peter Parker that, um, kind of like we were saying, uh, I, I think with the Miles Morales, like they, they give us just enough of what his personal life is that you understand all his emotional motivations mm-hmm. for the decisions that he's making. Where we, in his quick origin story, he, he says, you know, got, got the power, saved the city a bunch of times, got married. Uh, marriage got a little snarky we said some things yeah <laughs> uh <laughs> you know th- that fell apart uh moved out on my own <laughs> you know and, and it just kind of like you you see the midlife crisis version where like the, this isn't the fairy tale of of like the superhero who saved the day and is now revered by the city right right and it's and, but one of the things that i really like that they do with peter b parker is that He does not have his life figured out. He is a disaster. I mean, (laughs) like the definition of like a disaster person. He's 40 years old, you know, and he's living in uh, like a like a, you know, like a bachelor pad that like a 25 year old would be embarrassed to have. Um, and, and, you know, and he's, he's eating pizza, uh, presumably almost for every meal, uh, you know, if you look around his apartment, there's a lot of pizza boxes. Um, he has the famous super metabolism of Spider-Man and yet has acquired a dad bod. Yeah, exactly. And so like, he just, he, he doesn't not have his life together, but the one thing that he has had, he has down pat is being Spider-Man. And so Everything he does in this movie as Spider-Man is insanely easy looking. Like he does it like like he's snapping his fingers. Like everything that he does as Spider-Man is so quick and easy and he knows how to do everything there is to know about being Spider-Man, you know? Um and and it 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 like I I think that's something that's really interesting as a way to um, both as like a visual uh, storytelling, like, you know, the way that he moves when he's being Spider-Man versus when he's stuck being like Peter B. Parker or, you know, like just just disgustingly like snarfing down two hamburgers. I was going to say, when he's in a diner as Peter B. Parker, like you're embarrassed to be near him. Yeah. But then when he's (laughs) Spider-Man, you're like, wow, he's a good Spider-Man. Like he's a really good Spider-Man. It comes so easy for him. And it's just because, you know, he's got a lot of mileage um on him as as spider-man and so he he knows the ins and outs he's got his ten thousand hours in and so (laughs) it's just like you know he's a master at it um and And he sucks at everything else but he's really good at that and i think for miles that makes him actually the mentor he needs because miles isn't one of those classic superhero orphans like miles has a good home life that is going to teach him to be a good person like he still has that in place he does not know how to be a superhero and that's what he where he needs the mentoring um with with so many superheroes where their origin story is built in tragedy and becoming an orphan like they need both like the family replacement and the guide into the the whole new world of superpowers and miles really just needs the superpower side of things right whereas peter b parker needs to learn how to be a father and mm-hmm. and so he is adopting Miles in a in a certain way, but more of like from a distance, except for the Spider-Man stuff. Um, but it's enough to like sort of light something inside of him to be like, oh, maybe I do want to be a dad, um, which I think is a really great arc for him. Yes. Uh, any, any final thoughts on Peter B. Parker before we start talking about some of these other versions? No. 
doesn't sound like it. I just want to say hilarious. Great, great screen comedy. Yeah. That comes from Peter B. Parker. Um, Spider Gwen uh, or, or Spider Woman or Gwen Stacy, however we want to refer to her. Uh, I, I think that's one of those um, characters that her just her visual design mm-hmm. and then the way uh, they wrote her. It, I, I think it's one of those times where you see the character on screen. You're like, why haven't I had this character in my life before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, like this feels like this should already be a pop culture icon. Yeah, it was, uh, I will say, um, so I first saw this movie in an early screening. It came out, I think I saw it about six weeks before it opened. Um, I think it was like early November or like late October is somewhere in there. Uh, and it had like a Q and a with all of the directors and, um, Lord and Miller and, uh, no one knew cause the final trailer, the only trailer that had been released at this point was just the initial teaser like this the the like the last theatrical trailer like hadn't quite hit yet i don't think so like none of us knew what this was we just like got tickets to this early screening and saw this and um it was kind of mind-boggling like like everything was pretty mind-boggling like (laughs) I, 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 I was just in a state of like, what? Like, (laughs) like, I, I, like, you know, just like, I can't believe what I'm watching. And specifically when spider Gwen shows up, um, there was a little girl about two rows down from me watching this. And when she sees, she saw like another spider and she was like, Oh, is that another Spider-Man? Like to like her mom or whatever, whoever brought her or her dad. Um, and uh, it like this, like she lands and you see the ballet shoes, the dance shoes and the little girl stood up <laughs> and had this look on her face. Like, is this happening? Is this going to happen? And then the reveal that it was a girl she started like jumping up and down and saying it's she's a girl she's a girl um and it was i it was like mind boggling because i was like oh my god like this is this movie's going to be huge uh because of little girls like that who have no idea what they're in for um and that they're going to have a spider-man too <laughs> Uh, I was watching when I was rewatching it today. I, my kids were around and they've all seen it. We saw it in the theater when it came out and I asked them like who their, their favorite was. And like before the question was out, my daughter like just looked at me angry. She's like, spider Gwen. <laughs> like why, <laughs> why on earth would I ask that question? And my two younger boys who are six and eight, they were both instantly spider ham. <laughs> like they, they love the cartoon version of, uh, of spider Man. Uh, you know, that's, that's really right in their wheelhouse for, for their interests. Sure. But yeah, my, my daughter, who's uh, she's 12 now and, and like she loves the the look, the color scheme mm-hmm. of Spider-Gwen. And she loves the character's attitude. Um, and she like she is familiar with superheroes, but she does not like have like she doesn't seek out superhero cartoons really or read my superhero comic books or anything like that. But she she does like Spider-Gwen and she knows who that is. And she she like immediately latched on uh, when we saw it in the theater. Like when we left, I remember her talking about that that character. Um, so, yeah, there's something special. And, and I think it's. it's similar to like saying one thing about miles morales you know is is that this is a a black spider-man right you know it's it's a a representation that um a lot of people haven't seen on you know them been able to see themselves mirrored on screen in that way and representation matters because of things like that little girl that you said you saw right uh jumping up and down uh in, in the chair and it's not pandering it's not 
being politically correct. Like it's it's giving people a chance to to have characters that they can embrace in a way that as as white men, like the world is built for us to have characters around us, right? <laughs> that, yeah. that, that resonate for us. Um, and and I always get a little uh, you know, more than a little. I get, I get perturbed when people are like, oh, you know, all this PC stuff. I'm like, let other people have a chance to to have these characters yeah. for them. Not not everything needs to be for you. And also, the fact that you don't think this is for you is. Uh, 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 more of an indictment than you think. I think <laughs> yes, this movie's awesome. This movie is for everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's also for that little girl that was jumping up and down in her seat. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was incredible. Um, uh, one other one other side story about that screening, though, I will say is that like everybody, like no one knew what to expect, and so it was like you know when Spider Ham shows up and does his thing, everybody's losing their minds. Nick Cage, everybody's losing their minds. But um, it was, I think not even a week after the death of Stan Lee. Uh, and so when his scene shows oh, up the whole, cause it was a sold out massive audience. I mean, there was, I, I think over 400 people in the audience, um, huge, huge, you know, theater. And when Stan shows up and the first thing he says is I'm going to miss him. The whole audience, you could hear every, like the air just gets sucked out of the room because everyone is trying not to cry. <laughs> um, I, I, it, I, yeah, I saw it, you know, around when it opened um, in like December, I think was, was when it opened, right? November, December. Yeah, yeah December. Um, and I lost it. Yeah. Yeah. When, when Stan's there and, and with that being the thing he's saying, and in the context of in the movie, it's him talking about, spider-man dying and Mm -hmm. and i don't think there's ever going to be a way to have a superhero like die as effectively as they as they did this so i was already primed because they had spider-man die i'm like yeah like spider-man just died like i'm actually dealing with like what if in in the movies or something like spider-man really made the ultimate sacrifice because i knew there was going to be the other stuff so it was you know going to be okay (laughs) Mm-hmm. so to speak but then to have stan in that moment yeah like i just could not handle it and and, and it was the same year right stan and steve both died in the same year yes the year the year that yeah i think that about Spider-Verse about, came out yeah about like six months apart i think um and so but like yeah just that that last cameo from stanley yeah is just it, it is the best cameo I think both uh, in terms of, uh, like you're saying, like when it hit, it resonated differently because by then also he'd been built up enough that even for the non-comic book reading audience, he was the grandfather of superheroes right. for American audiences. Right. Like, like he just kind of be that lovable grandfather figure, which historically, yes, there's all the carnival huckster side of him and some of the business the issues that maybe aren't as lovable. Which, which they still <laughs> get into this cameo too. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. I was about to say this, ha- this cameo manages to like have that salesman side of him, mm-hmm. that, that persona. But then also when he says the mask always fits, like that is like when you go read Stanley soapbox, like that is who's like one of, one of the themes he was trying to get across yeah. is, uh, you know, is everyone's got a hero in, in them. Yeah. And, and if our stories can inspire anyone to be a little more heroic, like that is a job well done by Marvel comics. Oh, yeah. Like you can find those kind of messages throughout Marvel comics all the time. And so the timing of when this happened, 
uh, for uh, the tragic passing of, of, of Stanley and, and that kind of raw emotion that, that got carried into that cameo. But then also so much had been built up through all his cameos of all the MC, MCU films and all the X-Men films. Like people actually knew who that was when they heard his voice. Yeah. And the lines that he had recorded uh, for this, I think, are, like I said, I think this is his best cameo and would be even without his death, you know, this being his final one because of his death. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right about that. Yeah, it was it was crazy because like, you know, I saw this that that early and then it, I didn't get to see it again until like it opened, you know, for everybody. And um uh for the first cuz I think I ended up seeing this in theaters like eight times, I think. Um <laughs> wow. Well, keep in mind, I work for a movie theater at the time. Yeah, so, you work for a movie theater. Yeah, yeah. So I got I got free tickets. Um, but but uh, I did. I think I ended up seeing it eight times in theaters. Um, and never got sick of it. Uh, I actually, I went. I made sure that I went to the very last screening of it. Um, in in theaters in any of the theaters that I worked at, so that I could I could see it one more time on the big screen. Um, but uh, yeah. So so you know, for the first three or four times that I saw it, I didn't hear what the guy says to miles at the, the wake or the, the public funeral or whatever. Um, when he says, I don't, you know, when he, he looks over at miles and says like, I don't think they were talking about you specifically. Um, I didn't hear that until the third or fourth time that I saw it because the applause for Stan lasted that long. Um, it was crazy. (laughs) I I mean, what you're describing is one thing that I do miss in this you know, coming out of 2020 where movie theaters were shut down. And yes, studios made efforts to get us some films through streaming. But there's something about that communal emotional experience of being in a massive room of people who love the thing that's about to be on the screen. Yeah. And it's just a different emotional reaction than seeing, you know, a film on uh, on a tablet or even on a, on a big TV in your house. It's, you know, the, that, that communal uh, emotional outpouring that can happen in those kinds of moments. Like it is a different reaction that you yourself are going to experience because of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I want to piggyback off of that and talk about another one of those um, in, in this movie. And I think from there, there's like one more character that I, I hope we can address. And that's Prowler. Mm-hmm. When, when Prowler comes into the apartment, Miles is mm-hmm. hiding in, in his uncle's apartment and Prowler comes in and then they reveal that Prowler is his uncle. That's one yeah. of those like communal viewing experiences where you can feel something in the audience, right? Yep. People realizing that moment and the Prowler stuff is so good with like the music cue that they give. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I don't know what that sound is, but it's so good and so tension inducing. Yeah. And when you hear that, when Miles is in what he thinks of as his safe space, and I went into this and I knew that that his uncle was the Prowler. I, right. I don't remember why or if it was like like comic book context or I'd heard something. But I also knew that like the people next to me did not know. And so I was kind of waiting to like see what happened when he walked into the apartment. Yeah. And like I know he's in there just because he's in the apartment, but everyone else thinks he's chasing Miles right now. Yeah. And that's a great reveal and a great theater experience. Yeah. No, absolutely. I I had multiple uh, uh, experiences with that in the in the theater of people uh, gasping at that reveal. Well, I, I know we're probably nearing the end, uh, and these are the the last three versions of Spider Man are probably the ones that get the you know the, the they're more there as uh, just 
embracing the insanity of this film, I think, uh, to have uh, the the Penny Parker and Spider-Man Noir and Spider-Ham. Any any particular things you want to uh, recognize about those three versions? Um, I really like how they adapted Spider-Man Noir because in the comics, he's a lot more hardcore um, and is a little bit more... Um, I don't know. He's not as goofy as he is in this. And I appreciate the sort of goofy angle that they took with him uh, by, you know, pointing out how inherently silly it is that he talks like that and acts like that. Um, And it's uh, it's a lot of fun because it would be, you know, it's it's super easy to do the Sin City version of Spider-Man. But I think this this takes a little bit more finesse. And uh, I, I really, really love it. Random bit of trivia. I remember when after the film came out and was uh, whenever there's something that is that successful, you know, there's like dozens of clickbaity articles about about the film. Sure. Uh, and I remember one about uh, like something about the secret behind Spider-Man Noir's dialogue. I'm like, what in the world is this even about? And it said that they wrote all these made up like hard boiled phrases for Nicolas Cage to say. And then there were like two of them that didn't get my censors because they'd accidentally said something really crude based on <laughs> uh, like, they had no idea. Like the, the old timey, this was like something you did not say. And the censors caught it because they were words ser- like searching the history of every single term. And they, 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 most of them were just like nonsense supposed to like sound like hard boiled detective uh, monologuing. Uh, but they stumbled upon a couple that the censors wouldn't let them to use. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and then I, for me, like you, you know, who Spider-Ham is like so quickly, like, okay, this is just, uh, Looney Tunes and Spider-Ham, you know, Spider-Man. And that's, that's great. You don't need anything, but uh, I'm actually kind of glad that Penny Parker remains so, so much of a kind of an enigma and a mystery. Like there's, there's kind of like, there's a fascinating story that you want to have, but I also don't like, I want it to just be that there was a little girl with a spider robot. That was her best friend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I really, I really like, like the amount of Penny that we get. And like the qualities that she has in, in like relatively small role mm-hmm. where like she's here, but she's also like super aggressive and tough and obviously like the technological genius, mm-hmm. but she doesn't have like the relationship with the rest of them. She doesn't join in the conversations as much. And I also like that they don't make her like the little girl mm-hmm. throughout it. Like they don't have to be uber protective of her or coddling in any way. She's as tough as any of them. Yeah. Yeah. I I love I love the the little character bit they gave her that she's whenever she's doing tech stuff, she's constantly shoving fistfuls of full fistful of candy into her mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just I really I like that. I think it's uh, I think it's nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just sort of in the same way that uh, uh, Peter Porker is a riff on on, you know, uh, Looney Tunes. Um, she's a riff on anime and that's enough. You know, you don't need yeah. any more than that with these three characters because they're just supporting. I would say that Gwen is probably the weakest character um, of the bunch because she doesn't have, doesn't quite have an archetype. Uh, she mm-hmm. just kind of, um, I don't want to say that she's just there. She has a personality, but it's not, yeah, it, it's not, but it almost stops at just being a little bit sassy. You know, and it's like, okay, I want a little bit more. Right. Right. That. That's why, that's why I'm really hopeful with the sequel, because I remember when they announced the sequel, they were like, oh yeah, it's a romantic comedy. Bet- uh, it's like, it's a romantic comedy about a long distance relationship between two people in alternate universes. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, I like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I'm uh, I'm I'm on board for the sequel. I'm mean, I'm really excited for that because I think we're going to get a lot more Spider Gwen in that one. 
Yeah, and I, I think um, at this point, that character has been used enough in comics, too, that there's, you know, th- there's enough to draw on that you can build a a more uh, fully formed character, right? That, you know, that's going to be well-rounded all the way, you know, all the way through. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Any final thoughts on Miles Morales and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Um, I just want to give a shout out to Chris Pine, who rules as spider-man in the like handful of scenes that he's in um i you know i i i don't think anyone went into this movie knowing that chris pine was even in the movie uh so i remember when this starts and you get the spider-man stuff i'm like what is this who who is this this isn't this isn't Jake Johnson. I remember being really confused um, because I was like, that's weird. Is Jake Johnson doing a voice? What is this? Who is this? <laughs> um, but I think he's uh, an excellent Peter Parker. Uh, I like all of his stuff. And it's it really, you know, it there's, there's a lot to be said about um, Chris Pine, number one, uh, being able to act like a goofball all the time. He literally recorded multiple Spider-Man Christmas songs. <laughs> To release a Spider-Man <laughs> Christmas album, um, and uh, that's real. You can get it on on Spotify, um, and it's great. It's really really funny, and he's great. Uh, and yeah, like he, it's it's just really goofy and uh, like charming, and um, I don't know. Like there's something really electric about his Peter Parker at sort of like the height of his Spider-Manning. You know, yeah, like, like the, the 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 A model. Right, right. As opposed he's like, to the B model. Exactly. Because he's like he's like 26, you know, that's like kind of like he's like his like peak physical form and like he's peak Spider-Man at that point. And um it's it's man, he's so good. And it's just like further proof that Chris Pine is the best Chris, I would say. Um <laughs> I think I think I think uh Chris Pine's uh, Peter Parker is great. And um just a special shout out to something that I I love uh about the the structure of this there's a lot of like repeated elements um in in this uh in this movie but one that i think gets under the radar a lot is that when chris pines peter and um and miles first meet and then he's like yeah like i'll you know i'll show you around the spider ropes and you know we'll hang out it'll be great but first i gotta take care of this thing i'll be right back and then he goes into spider-man mode and he um you know climbs up the the scaffolding and swings around the the spinny thing and then does like a big loop and then a a swing up to the ceiling and he does this like crazy this it's this crazy elaborate spider-man move and miles is watching him and miles is like wow how did he do that and then later at the end of the movie when miles it has to go to the ceiling to put in the the goober um to send his friends home um he does the same exact move that chris pine spider-man did uh to get to the ceiling um and it's just like a little detail of animation that they didn't have to do but they totally did and it's awesome i i, I, I love that. that and i will go look for it <laughs> yeah it's really really great he does the exact same move um and it's it's so good because he's the spider-man now and like what a great way to illustrate that well, and I and I also love that because um, Peter B. Parker and and Gwen look at each other and say, "I don't know where he learned that. We didn't show him how to do stuff like that." Exactly. But then yes. they have confidence that he's going to be okay. Like he can learn to be Spider Man without them. Right. Right. And yeah. so it's fantastic. The movie rules is what we're all saying. Yeah. I think. 
like yes. 97% maybe a little low. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, do seek it out. I, I know like right as we're releasing this episode, it finally left Netflix. I'm not sure where it's streaming right now, but it's worth uh, seeking it out. Even if you've got to pay a few dollars for a rental. Uh, yeah. And, and also um, like in your summary or in my summary, you, you heard there, there's a couple deaths. I think they had like, I went to the movie theater with, all of my kids to see this, including it would, I mean, uh, well, no, it would have been my three oldest kids. I think my youngest wasn't there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I had a four year old on my lap uh, watching it and he got scared at parts, but he was not scarred and he loves the film and he's watched it multiple times since. So the, even though there is, uh, you know, the, the animated violence that literally ends in death for, for a couple characters, it's handled in a way that I think kids, kids can enjoy this film. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's going to wrap up this episode. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. And we'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. And uh, Scott, uh, you a lot of uh, Dueling Genre interaction is going to be happening on Discord. Is that correct? Uh, yes. There's going to be a, a Dueling Genre Discord channel um, and you should, I, I, I think we're going to try and get it, uh, put into all of the links of all of the podcasts. So check the show notes. Okay. Uh, so that is a, a place where you will be able to seek out that interaction and, uh, let us know what you think of this episode and also suggest future episodes for us. We always enjoy those suggestions. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Bye. Oh, you have hit record. All right.